Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to advance in leadership, then this podcast is for you. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker, and Monique Marquez, senior corporate leader, ex-Googler, and diversity expert. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. Hi, I'm Monica, your host for today's episode. A good leader sets the tone for an organization. Without good leadership, employees won't know the right direction to take or what they can improve upon. While men and women may generally have different needs and motivations, the qualities that make a good leader are the same for both. What is also important and needed for all leaders to succeed is to continuously seek out next-level mentors with fresh perspective so they don't get caught up in their own echo chamber and get left behind. Joining us today is Dr. Annalisa Jenkins, a biopharma thought leader and a board member for several growing companies. She shares with us her experiences from the British military to the boardroom and what it's been like to work in this age of life science innovation and digital advances. Coming from a generation where male mentors were common, Dr. Jenkins speaks about working as a woman in her industry and how she learned to be a tough but fair leader under their direction. Her broad array of experiences in health sciences shows us how to bring vision to our workplace as leaders. Visit imbeyondbarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Annalisa. Welcome, Annalisa. Thank you so much for joining us on the Beyond Barriers podcast. We are thrilled to have you on. And so wanted to really um, dive and dive deep into, you know, what you're doing now, but really what brought you to where you are? Tell us your story and what you learned along the journey and like how you've landed to what you're doing now. Like what were some of those things that really um, drove your motivation? Oh, great. Lovely to join you and be with you today, Monica. Uh, Thanks for the opportunity. So uh, today you find me in London. Um, Uh After two years here, um, perhaps not traveling internationally, I still have my home in uh, Princeton, New Jersey and still live on a global basis. (laughs) Uh Um, But, you know, today I have a rich portfolio of uh, board work, largely Mm -hmm. in the life science and digital health space, um, coupled with a burgeoning and ever-growing nonprofit philanthropic portfolio and coupled to a certain extent with work in the public se- sector, public services. And uh, mm-hmm. I really enjoy uh, working as ever as I was in an operating role in the corporate world uh-huh. uh, 24-7. But, you know, I, it all started, I'm a trained physician, trained in mm-hmm. medicine um, in the 80s, uh, spent nine years in the British military in the British Mm. Navy, and um, really at a very young age, uh, learning the lessons of leadership. In fact, I often offer some perspectives on that called from the battleship to the boardroom, because I think it Mm. was really a seminal moment in my career and growth, um, my experiences in the British military. But having, Mm. having left the military 
um, already having had a couple of kids, um, which was quite unusual at the time. I joined the farm. <laughs> I, I spent a, a little bit of time in the UK National Health Service training in cardiovascular medicine and in uh, basic research. But I quickly decided that um, having circumnavigated the globe once with the military, that mm-hmm. I was itching for broader, bigger impact. And I joined Bristol Myers Squibb uh, mm-hmm. in the uh, mid to late 90s. And that's really the start of a journey over about um, 20 years in roles of increasing uh, on a global basis geographically, but also in the fields of life science, therapeutics, and drug development, culminating in my role leading medical globally at Bristol and then subsequently leading global R&D at Merck Serono. And then I made a switch. I made a switch having worked <laughs> uh-huh. in Big Pharma. We perhaps go into why that was the case. Uh-huh. Um, I moved into the biotech, founded a co-founded, um, was the first CEO of a little biotech called Dimension Therapeutics. And that was my first journey into entrepreneurship, really. Mm. Um, very, very different part of the industry. Grew that, mm. took it public on the NASDAQ and subsequently sold that. We were working on rare diseases, uh, gene therapy for children. Mm. And then came to 2017 and having navigated um, a pretty sort of remarkable set of experience and was so privileged to have worked as I mentioned, globally with so many amazing people on some fundamentally important programs impacting the lives of patients globally. Mm -hmm. I decided that it was time to uh, really more diversify into this portfolio Mm -hmm. where I could spend my life uh, on two key goals. One was transferring knowledge and experience that I had gained along the way to the next Mm -hmm. generation of young Men, men and women entrepreneurs as they sought to build their companies, finance their companies, and, and obviously make a difference. And secondly, uh, to think about how we could bring the right sort of capital to connect with ideas. So one really focused on mentoring, coaching, strategy work. And the second on ensuring these companies could be successful because we were getting the right sort of capital evolving in our sector, very much evolving mm-hmm. in our sector to connect with great ideas in the pipeline. So that's largely mm-hmm. what I spend my life doing across the public and private sectors. Oh my word, that is a remarkable journey. And I have so many questions that I don't even know where to start, but I do want to start where I was it piqued my interest where you talked about um, really kind of talking and kind of transferring knowledge and talking about from like the, the British military to the boardroom. Um, because, you know, we focus a lot on helping accelerate women in leadership. And we always try to teach them around how, you know, the characteristics and the definition of leadership is gender agnostic. Um, and, most people, you know, from, you know, but the sociology or the society norms um, make it look different, you know, for women when they kind of try to emulate some of those characteristics and competencies. So being that you were very successful and you were in the military and then you went, you know, kind of like to this whole idea, mm-hmm. corporate or boardroom, what are some of the lessons learned or what are some of the things that you, you know, try to teach individuals that really will help you Um, be successful, um, you know, in kind of the boardroom? Yes, that's a really good question. And, you know, I would say I, in many ways, you know, the experiences I had in my 20s um, in the military where 
frankly, I was, as a physician, often the only female, either in a land-based facility, and for a year I was at sea as the only woman with 700 men during mm-hmm. Gulf War One. And, you know, um, what I learned, and in some ways it took me probably another 10 to 15 years to really reflect on what I'd mm-hmm. learned and how that could then translate. And I, I would say that, to your point, look, at the end of the day, when I think about leadership, there's about five things that leaders commonly do. I mean, all leaders. And the importance of, and I'll come on to then how, how one might deliver on that and, mm-hmm. and why it is okay to declare oneself as a woman with amazing um, attributes and a style that may look very different from a male colleague, but mm-hmm. the ability to be successful as a leader is all about how that gets translated into yes. how one you know, conducts, conducts oneself. So, you know, it is absolutely clear that uh, great leaders have a clarity of vision. I mean, it's, it's, that's the number one priority for me. I mean, if I can't get really in my head a sense of where we need to get to, what that future state looks mm. like, as I'm building a team, building a program, building a company, helping any organization. I think it's really, really difficult because, of course, the next thing that leaders really are, are, are good at or, or, or need to excel at is to engage, engage mm-hmm. uh, people. I mean, le- leaders are able through amazing communication and, and many other methods to engage groups of people and individuals to follow them on that journey. And I, uh, again, learned that in the military very early on, uh, taking people in and out of very um, risky, um, very stressful situations is remarkable mm-hmm. leadership. And I right. think it's really no different in the corporate sector. Yeah. The, third thing, the third thing that leaders do is that they build energy. And there's overall a building of energy. I learned this early on at Bristol from a very uh, senior leader. I'm always looking at leaders that I really admire and want to follow and work through, men and women, you know, um, how they do achieve uh, their goals and, and take companies forward. So energy. Great leaders create energy in an organization. Mm-hmm. And what they also do is that they understand um, what drains energy in an organization and they mm-hmm. make it their business to really uh, get in and mitigate against that. So Mm -hmm. leaders create energy, they channel it and focus it in the right way. Mm -hmm. And they're very clear about that. And then what they do is that they make sure that things that drain energy from an organization are removed. Mm. So for me, energy is, 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 is clear. And then... I think the other thing that leaders then obviously do is that they focus on execution. And because at the end of the day, you know, you have to get stuff done, you know, and Mm -hmm. then they have to define how we do things around here. So those are two Mm -hmm. important attributes of leaders is here's how we get stuff done. And at the end of the day, we deliver on our promises. And then the last thing they do is really they're very focused on measuring so that everybody is clear about when the goals have been hit. And, right. and that's important for a couple of reasons, largely because there's often a lot of stakeholders that want to know how you're doing against your, <laughs> your, right. you know, your objectives. But I think it also creates energy in your team because we all want to be part of a winning team and we want to mm-hmm. measure and 
they really understand when we're successful. And it's sometimes it's obvious in our industry, of course, when a drug gets approved and when you sell that first um, pill or injection, whatever, on a global basis, we all feel remarkably satisfied. Mm-hmm. But there are many, many wins along the way, and these all need to be celebrated and, and rewarded. So, so for me, you know, to energize, engage, um, envision, um, execute and measure. Actually, I did come up at one point in my career with this little equation called uh, EMC squared because I was born. So I lived in Princeton for a long time, of course. Um, <laughs> right. you know, uh, that's an obvious, obvious equation tied to Princeton. Um, and lots of E's, measuring is the M. And the C squared was all about communication and collaboration because to get all of this done, you have to be very, very good at communicating. And I've worked on that a lot over the years. I was not a very articulate, um, outward-going R&D uh, leader, I have to tell you. Uh, but when I moved to the US, I discovered that being a good communicator was going to be critical. And of course, in the military, that was always very important. Um, mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And um, and so, and collaboration, and you know, we've seen that over and over again, people that mm-hmm. can bring teams together um, and to get them to collaborate, work together, um, are always going to be successful. So, so, so that's really you know, the way that I think about leadership, we could have Mm -hmm. a cross-cutting theme across my career, which has been that I've always tried to be gracious and I've always tried to be an altruistic leader. I've always tried to see the good in people first and foremost and assume that everyone comes to work every day to Mm -hmm. do their best. Um, And that's always been my, uh, that's always been my assumption. And I've always felt that coming from, that position of goodness um, mm-hmm. would help me sustain as a leader over time. And I think today that's more so, it's so important and more so than ever. And when it comes to men and women, mm-hmm. look, at the, end, at the end of the day, I, I think you said it. I, I think that great leaders um, do the same things, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think that they might have certain strengths that allow them in certain situations to be uh, successful because you don't need all of those (laughs) attributes Mm -hmm. at any one point in time. It's context dependent. But I do think that um, how women translate their personal style into achieving what I just said can be very different from Mm -hmm. the men. And I, as I said to you, I've always felt that I didn't want to be the shouting, screaming person in the room. I've always felt that I didn't really want to be the person that thought that getting angry and eating the table was going to be my personal right. style. And I, I always felt that what I really wanted to do was to be somebody that people could look up to, certainly the next generation, and say, oh, look, you know, if she can be successful, you know, dressing in a certain way, mm-hmm. acting in a certain way, treating others in a certain way, I, I thought that might encourage and engage and perhaps inspire the next generation of women uh, mm. to say, look, you know, I can translate my femaleness or my womanness or my mm-hmm. whatever and, and achieve great outcomes. So that's really been my philosophy. That's phenomenal. It's so insightful. And I love what you just said about, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not complete assimilation of, of seeing how somebody leads and you have to actually do something that's not authentic to yourself. It's more acculturation, like you said, and make it your own and lead the way that you feel most comfortable. Um, but really paying attention to 
those uh, critical things that you said around leaders, you know, having clarity and creating the energy and the focus and the measuring and the mm-hmm. accountability and bringing people along. But I think the important thing you said too is, you know, not measuring just to measure, but also measuring so that you can celebrate, right? And uh, and really embrace those accomplishments because we all have that need to, you know, have that um, significance of um, or the the validation that we've achieved something great. And I think those were all really, really uh, great points. I mean, if you sum it all up, I mean, to be a sustain to, to sustain leadership. I mean, I'm. Well, in my mid to late fifties now, I've been doing this. I joined the Navy when I was nineteen, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, I think to sustain over time, a couple of things. First of all, you have to be authentic to who you are. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult to get out of bed every day and to put a mask on and go into the workplace mm-hmm. uh, with something that you aren't, but that you really fundamentally in your heart um, don't believe in, or, or it's just not you. And if you're asked to do that at any point in time, I always say to the women I mentor, it's time to get another job. It's time mm-hmm. to think differently. So I think that's really, really important. And I think the other important point is that over time, in, once you get to my point of my career, you know, I'm really now looking back and I'm mm-hmm. looking back on, uh, on to learn, you know, what worked well, what didn't, the learnings I might be able to share. And, you know, I felt that overall what I tried to do was to – increase the overall level of happiness in an organization. And that mm. might sound a little bit, you know, soft, but at the end of the day, if people are coming to what, there was a great book written on this actually, which I really liked, um, that described this notion of, it, you know, as long as you have purpose in the workplace, you really have a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And as long as you have a degree of mastery, which that, and that means that you, you yourself and, and, and the gift you can give to others is that you're allowing them to develop new skills and embrace new experiences. Mm-hmm. And then as long as you're delegating and you, you're creating autonomy in the workplace, that's why I, I love that framework, because right. it just it sort of rung so true to me, this notion of I trust you, you know, I trust you. I'm communicating in terms of what I feel the organization needs to achieve. I trust you to go out there and, and to do your work, to deliver and be proud of what you can do. As long as you do that across the workplace, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, um, success will naturally follow. And that's really, I think, to me, what encompasses great leadership. And I think that's something that I've observed in my career. And as you say, I've tried to translate it into my own life Mm -hmm. and practice. And now what I'm trying to do, of course, is to then transmit that back through to the next generation. Mm. And I think that's so important, the transfer of knowledge of really being able to kind of like let the ladder down so that others can kind of come up. And that's what we're all about. We're not just about like, you know, helping women um, be successful. It's accelerating that success because, you know, both of us know that if I knew then what I know now, I probably could have like saved a whole lot of time and got, gotten here a lot sooner. So I think that's really important. And I commend so you true. for that. Um, I do have a question on, you know, what I thought was very interesting that you talked about, and, and we talk about this a lot, is you identified people that you admired who were really great leaders. And, um, and you said both men and women. And one of the myths that I want to break um, that I think you did organically was that you didn't just look for the person who looked like you. 
because one in the military, like you were saying, you were probably the only, um, and, in the, and even in pharmaceuticals and the spaces that you went into, they were very male dominated. So how did you identify those mentors and sponsors and how did you then learn from them and create that, you know, um, relationship, even though you were different from them? Yes, that's a really good question. Well, I mean, the first, um, in terms of identifying, um, you know, it's really no more complicated than working with people that really you connect with and inspire you. So it's really more Mm -hmm. the person. So I can think about, you know, I've worked with multi, you know, interestingly, I've worked with many, many, many organizations. I've been on 25 boards, I think it is now. And, you know, I've worked in two huge multinational corporations and have my own company and then have the military. So, you know, I have met on a geographic basis in different sectors, different settings, many, many leaders in C-suite and and leaders at all levels in the organization. So I would say, you know, just finding people that you you, you connect with and Mm -hmm. inspire you. And then it's a really interesting intellectual exercise, isn't it? To say, well, look, I'm connected to this person. It might be be somebody from a very different geography, different generation, clearly different gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the intellectual exercise is what is it about them mm. that I feel it connects me to them, inspires me? And, and then I'm always interested to want to understand that. And mm-hmm. actually, through a large part of my career, I was addicted to reading uh, biographies and autobiographies because I, pretty early on in my career, came to learn that once you're in a senior leadership position, a lot of it's about understanding people, of course. Mm-hmm. And I always used to say you had to be a psychologist, psychiatrist, and a sociologist all wrapped into one because a lot of what we do is all about the interpersonal relationships we can build and how we motivate and inspire people um, mm-hmm. around us. So, I mean, that's what I would say. I always felt it was a really interesting intellectual exercise to say, well, they don't look and feel like me, but they're clearly doing something great. What is it mm-hmm. about them? And often it would just be snippets, snippets of wisdom. You know, it may be mm-hmm. that I mentioned a, a CEO of Bristol Myers Squibb who used to talk a lot about energy and how energy used to channel through the organization. He was then mm-hmm. succeeded by a very, very different style of leader, um, um, uh, a lot older. And uh, he was somebody that I, I learned from him was that he was there to do a job for about two or three years, focus, 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 and execution. Pick mm-hmm. two or three things, he was a CEO, and really get them done. Mm-hmm. Um, because I often see where people derail, yeah? yes. is this, <laughs> you know, they, they go so broad, they want to boil the ocean, and, you know, then they lose focus. I will tell you that even to this day, when I go into companies, even personally, I keep two or three key priorities in my head for every organization I work with or for me personally. And I'm pretty clear about focus. The other attribute that I saw in the military, particularly, um, but I've seen in a number of leaders and certainly mentors of mine, has been the ability to take decisions. I actually do think that in this really risky, ambiguous, unpredictable world that we're living in right now, mm-hmm. great leadership comes from those who are willing to lean in and take decisions. Yes. And not have, always have all the, all the information at hand. 
I will tell you that when I'm uh, mentoring women, and I saw that in myself early, I, I, I think I was always quite decisive, but I did want to analyze things a lot. And I was always asking for more data and evidence. And then I certainly evolved in my leadership to work to a model where um, I was basing my thinking around scenarios rather mm -hmm. than a base plan. So scenarios that could then be informed by evidence sequentially mm -hmm. that would allow sequential decisions. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I learned this particularly when I was the CEO of my own company. Mm -hmm. And I always said at that company, I wanted to build a company that I always wanted to work for. I wanted mm. to build a company that I always wanted to work for. And I think a lot of leaders do that, whether you're building a team, whether you're building a company, leading a division, you know, reflecting on what is the team or the company that I always wanted to work for and go out and build it. Right. And as part of that, I, I became very clear in my head that I'd never wanted to be the constraint in the momentum and energy of an organization. Mm -hmm. But it was my job to be on my phone 24-7, making micro decisions, major decisions, where I could mm -hmm. keep the momentum and the energy flowing in the organization. I should never be the hold up because I was never going to be the constraint in the organization. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that was quite an important learning for me along mm -hmm. the way. And then lastly, I think that a seminal moment, and I often share this with women actually that I'm mentoring, was that um, as I was looking at other leaders mm -hmm. and really trying to, to learn like a sponge from what I was seeing, I came to the realization when I was in my late 30s that I wasn't doing enough on myself. I was looking mm -hmm. at other people, but I wasn't really looking at myself. And I had this wonderful mentor and coach at Bristol Myers Squibb as my manager for a number of years, a remarkable man. And he, he, he held the mirror up to me one day and he said, look, you know, we swim in a sea of intellect in this organization. You clearly mm -hmm. you know, obviously have the intellect. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's coupled with a, an ability to think very strategically. But you have to have a real understanding of the impact that you can have on others to be optimally effective, Annalise. And that, what that was about was how I went to meetings, how I engaged with people. I felt mm -hmm. I was being gracious and altruistic because I wanted to share my insights. But sometimes those are a little bit threatening or perhaps they inadvertently undermined others in the room. That was mm -hmm. a very big gift to me, that gift of mm. feedback, because I started to think about when I said something, what impact did it have on others? And, and that's a really great skill set to develop, because not only does it help you build teams and engage and become very effective, helps you really in negotiations and in diplomacy and all the other things you need mm -hmm. when you are working in the corporate world. So I think that was the other area that over the years, my mentors and uh, sponsors helped me on. Mm -hmm. and, and, and in terms of where did I find mentors and sponsors, you know, largely, of course, mentors through the people I worked with and had the privilege to work with over the years. Mm -hmm. Sponsors, you know, I don't know that you ever really know where your sponsors pop up from and where they appear from. Right. Um, and often you don't even know that you have them because they're advocating for you in, in mm -hmm. meetings and talent management type meetings. But I did actually have and still have um, a few sponsors. I will tell you that they're all men. Mm -hmm. They're all men. Mm. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's, interesting. that's not uncommon for my, my generation. Mm -hmm. When I looked up in, in the organizations that I work for, I didn't see many women. Mm -hmm. um, and so, of course, it's different for me. I think it's different for the next generation, hopefully. But yeah, I had all male sponsors, and they're still 
they're still great friends and great advisors to me even to this day. That's fantastic. And I think that's important what you said is, um, I think the important thing that, that you really kind of dove into is that what is it about that individual that you admire? And like you said, it's snippets. So there's there are lots of different individuals and there's certain characteristics and certain things that you um, are learning from them and then making it your own. And I think that's really important to, of staying authentic, but gleaning kind of like, this is, this is what really kind of like motivates me or this person motivates me because of this. And I wanna learn to do that. I think that was really, really important. The other thing that you mentioned was the learning to be more decisive. And I think that's so important. I mean, being, being um, on the inside or being the fly on the wall in many of these you know, promotion processes, performance review things that I used to manage in my roles um, in corporate you know, day, long ago, um, women would get dinged a lot on the decisiveness because we are so, in some cases, consensus-driven or the mm-hmm. whole analysis paralysis. And you kind of alluded to that, that you were wanting like data and more information. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was important how you mm-hmm. said then you kind of learned that you just didn't want to be the holdup. But the other piece that I think a lot of women struggle with, and I'd love to your perspective on it, is when you decide you divide. And there's always going to be people, the naysayers of the people who are upset who don't agree with you. And then the others who kind of like understand why you made the decision. How did you, how did you deal with that? As you said, you started making a lot of just quicker micro decisions or decisions, but how did you handle the, um, you know, the division that sometimes is created when you make a decision that is somewhat risky or, you know, just can be political? How did you, how do you manage that? What's your perspective? Well, of course, the first thing that one has to get used to is certainly as you rise up through uh, beyond manage, uh, being a manager, uh, individual contributor to manager, but certainly, you know, up through an organization, it's not a popularity contest. Mm. Um, and um, so, you, you, you know, uh, over time, if you're running a, a division or you're running a company, you, you know, it's nice to be likable. Mm. Yes. It's not critical. It's nice to be likable. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, it's good to have a reputation for being fair and for being gracious. And I think it's important as well to have a reputation to be somewhat kind. I think that's very important. Having Mm -hmm. said that, um, it's extremely important that the people, this is where you, you know, this notion of following people into battle, you know, you've got to be able to trust that your senior leader is going to make strong decisions, uh, hopefully the right decisions, yeah? And, mm-hmm. um, and not everyone's going to agree with that. I, actually, one of my mentors um, said to me very early on in my career, uh, he said, look, Annalisa, you can be, he, he said to me, you could be Mother Teresa, you can just be the most wonderful, gracious person in the world, and 75% of the people will love you and 25% won't. It's beyond your control, it's often related to context and it's related to their own lived experiences and their own context. Mm-hmm. So get used to it. That's what he said mm. to me. And that, that was a really good piece of feedback because I had come from a position where I always just want to make everyone happy and, and, and I always want to make sure that everyone can flourish. 
flourish and grow and shine in an organization. But I learned very early on that that just really is not possible. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's not in, that was not in my control. So I think that making sure that you have values that you stick to, mm-hmm. but be very clear that uh, an organization is looking to a leader to take them into that battle take them in alive and bring them out alive and then to successfully celebrate the contribution of the team and the achievements mm-hmm. of the team and you can't do that if you just want to win the popularity contest so mm. you know that was something i had to get used to and I, i and i always used to say that the best bit of feedback that i could get and i was always very keen to ask people you know am i can i do anything differently or am i doing am i am i am i contributing well to the organization or how do i make you feel and the best feedback i used to get was you're very you're tough but fair i think that's really mm. good feedback um, mm. and we appreciate your decisiveness annalisa and we appreciate that you're always there for us to help us make decisions and to support us moving forward that's the sort of feedback you want to be getting Mm-hmm. I do think I, I I hate to generalize because I I hate this gender generalization and I don't want to fall mm-hmm. into that but I do think women are more consensual they want to bring people together that's the mm-hmm. style that women lead through so yes. like everything styles have their pros and cons and you just have to be attentive to the con associated I would say that every decision mm-hmm. every uh, yeah has a pro and con and you just have to decide what con you want to live with and mm-hmm. i do think that that does call for us to reflect on our leadership styles constantly to make sure that we understand the perhaps the things that we're not quite so good at or those areas mm-hmm. that perhaps do drain a little bit of energy from our leadership and then to work on those and for me it it generally was that that um I'm pretty decisive but I I I always I always had this emotional reaction that I needed to manage and rechannel when mm-hmm. I knew that around a table there were a group of people that didn't like my decision or I mm-hmm. knew that by making a decision I was going to upset somebody and so I would always try and be attuned to that and go out of my way to at least explain why I'd made the decision appreciating mm-hmm. the input um and then reengaging the individuals to move forward and I didn't always get it right by any stretch of the imagination because <laughs> no one's perfect but I think just having that sort of EQ to know the impact that your decisions are making on others I think is step 1 and then at least you can uh continue to make sure that people want to follow you now look at the end of the day some people may fundamentally disagree with your position and choose to leave the organization or choose to mm-hmm. move into a different part of an organization and it's important to get comfortable with that as well mm-hmm. um because people make decisions for many different decision reasons and you can't possibly understand you know how the people in your team or organization are living their lives and what's important mm-hmm. to them you try to but you don't always get it right mhm That's so insightful. And the important thing that you talked about too was feedback and the power of feedback. Um but the research has shown time and time again that, you know, especially when you read some of the uh gender research where women aren't getting the the candid critical feedback that they need. Yep. And what I heard from yes. you is you were very proactive in asking for the feedback. Um and seeking out the truth tellers i think that's the important thing right of you know we all kind of shy away from the feedback and don't want to hear the negative feedback so one how did you proactively get the critical feedback you needed 
And then how did you manage to depersonalize that and not let it kind of destroy you um, and, and lose, <laughs> use it to, to propel you forward? Yeah, yeah. So the first thing to say is feedback is one of the most important gifts uh, that anyone can uh, offer in, in the workplace. I mean, that's a, that's a fundamental statement. It's something I completely believe in. And in my, in my work every day, um, I really focus on ensuring that there are no secrets. The thing that I really, really hate to see, and it makes me very sad, is uh, on many occasions where people are surprised when a manager or a senior leader come, may come into their office or sit them down and say, look, it's not working out. You know, we need to leave the organization. We need to move into a different mm-hmm. role. For me, in, when an employee finds that to be a surprise um, because they haven't received anything, I think that's a very sad and unfortunate situation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, feedback is so important because we want transparency and honesty in the workplace. Now, mm-hmm. look, For the listeners that think that that's a very idealistic position to take, um, yeah, some feedback is, it's important to titrate feedback and and it's important to have the right context and the timing and the situation. So it's not that we should just be launching feedback on everyone (laughs) 24-7. I will tell you that I did learn about this because I was very fortunate at Bristol-Myers Squibb very early on. I'd moved to the US, um, I'd been in the UK, and then I'd been in Asia Pacific, Latin America, and I came to the US, and um, I hadn't really come from a culture of feedback, and this was all a bit new to me um, in my 30s, and I went through a leadership development program pretty early on, and it was led by one of the senior HR um, guys who also subsequently went on to do the DEI work, and he was just brilliant, and he said, he said to me, he said, Lisa, you know, go and seek feedback all the time. And he taught me about the Jahari window that I'm sure many of you are aware of, where somebody can hold a window, a mirror up to you, and mm-hmm. really give you a sense of how you look to others uh, and mm-hmm. share that information with you that you don't have yourself. The, the window has the four quadrants, but that's the most powerful one. Is what is it that I know about you that you don't know about yourself that might be useful to you? For mm-hmm. me, that is the biggest gift that one can give because you want to know all the time how, what the impact is that you're having on others. So I, um, yes, used to go and seek it out all the time. I have to tell you, it's painful sometimes, um, but you just have to practice mm-hmm. it, to be honest, and you just get comfortable because over time you come to realize it's really useful. I, <laughs> I am not shy myself in offering feedback. I've, I've, come a little, I've come to develop a style in terms of how you provide feedback. I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. It depends on the individual. There are some people that are just like, give it to me straight. And they are so resilient and you can just wing it into them. I remember a senior <laughs> yeah. leader that used to work for me. It was a woman, actually. She was quite a character, a remarkable, remarkable woman who really changed the face of cancer care on a global basis through her work. And yet she was a real character. And I always used to think, oh, I've got to give her feedback. And I used to be a bit gentle. And then I did. I came to realize I could just wing it to the middle of her eyes, you know, <laughs> right to the middle of her forehead. And she would absorb it and take it and on she go. Whereas, you know, there are others who find it particularly difficult. And that's the beauty of the work that we do in the workplace as leaders is we have such a variety and diversity of 
people. Mm -hmm. So we have to be thoughtful about it. But I think you're right to bring this notion up because I do see that more two things. Women don't generally seek out feedback. Mm -hmm. And the men don't want to give the women feedback. You know, there is this sort of, there's this, the do loop, which is the men struggle with how to give feedback to women. Mm -hmm. And then the women aren't asking for it. And then you get into this really somewhat destructive situation where, you know, too many surprises. I don't really like to have surprises mm -hmm. in my organizations. I want everybody to know where they sit, where they're great and doing well, where their mm -hmm. development is and, and how they're being seen. And the second thing I really hate to see is when there's obviously a square peg in a round hole. We don't always get it right when we put people into roles. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Managers and senior leaders make a lot of errors. You've got to be honest when that's the case. I spend a lot of time mm -hmm. telling CEOs, you just, just, why don't you just go and have a chat with that senior leader and say, this is not working. Mm -hmm. And let's unpack that and work through whether we can you know, resolve it or whether it right. might be better for me as a senior leader to help that person into a role where they can flourish. That is absolutely the role of leaders to have mm -hmm. fit right. I see a lot of that misfit, just mm -hmm. not quite fit for the role. And yet people struggling to understand how to resolve that. So that's a very key area, I think, that leaders need to pay attention in their organizations. Mm. That's so insightful. And I love the way that you said it, that it almost, you know, feedback is a gift. And it's almost now kind of this FOMO of like, I want the feedback now. <laughs> and it's yeah. just like, you know, so I think that's oh. fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I was so funny. I just one quick. I, I did get to a point in my career where I was so overloaded with feedback. I went to bed every night thinking I had some sort of like, you know, it was just my head was swimming. I remember going to I remember going to my boss and saying, please, no more 360s, no more rating scales, no more Myers-Briggs. Just let me let me just let me just try and live with what I've learned for a year or two. So, you know, it's like mm -hmm. everything in life, you know, you need, it needs to be a balance. But I think, you know, women and men, I think if you're in senior leadership positions or you're going through an organization, you don't think you're getting enough feedback or you don't really have a sense of how other people see you or how your boss sees you beyond the mm -hmm. annual rating reviews. Um, I think that uh, that's on, you know, your onus is on you to go out and, and find that. Mm, that's fantastic. What if you could pinpoint the invisible ceilings limiting your success? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers so you can take action and gain unstoppable momentum to advance as a future-ready leader. Well, that's exactly what the Beyond Barriers quiz will help you discover. You'll get your personalized score based on the 25 essential elements proven to accelerate success in the digital age, so you can understand what's holding you back and where to focus your efforts. The Beyond Barriers quiz is completely free and takes just a few minutes. Go to IamBeyondBarriers.com slash quiz and take the quiz today. Um, this has been phenomenal, but I do want to shift gears a little bit and ask you, you know, the work that you're doing now and in terms of kind of trying to democratize access and helping entrepreneurs, share a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. mm. So, of course, we're living in this uh, amazing age of uh, life science, innovation, uh, the digital age and the combination of the two, which is absolutely fascinating. And that's really from 
you know, if I think about the life science sector, and we include pharma and biotech in that, in that it's all the way from, you know, the discoveries that are going on in our academic labs, uh, basic mm-hmm. research, you know, the underpinnings in the biology of disease genomics, all the way through to how we bring those insights into uh, the development of new um, therapeutics, diagnostics, mm-hmm. you know, devices, etc. And then right out into how we um, think about um, the delivery of care on a global basis mm. and access, mm-hmm. the equality of access to that care. So that's a huge, broad agenda. And then the cross-cutting theme on that is digital, because you yes. can now lay digital across the entire spectrum, the entire spectrum mm-hmm. of, of what I just described. So I personally um, get the privilege now of uh, picking all the different areas um, in that ecosystem that I might Mm -hmm. want to work on. And generally, I have done that traditionally through serving on boards, both in the public and private sector. And certainly, Mm -hmm. for me, boards that are at that stage of translating um, early academic phase research, the translation of that um, into companies and then into actual uh, products, that mm-hmm. potentially can impact and make a difference in people's lives. So that's the area that I've picked. And I essentially um, go out and find great te- teams and people that um, potentially want me to help them uh, with that. Um, and I try and make it very diverse. So diverse geographically, mm-hmm. uh, diverse in the sector, public, private, academic, and then importantly, um, diverse in um you know, in the different aspects. So I, I have a lot of work, say, in mental health. Now, in mental mm-hmm. health, I might be working on a therapeutic, a digital solution, work in the non-profit sector. So I try and pick areas. Mental mm-hmm. health, important to me. Um, women's health, very important. Interestingly, underserved areas like the development of novel antimicrobials. I've done a lot of work with COVID, of course, but, you mm-hmm. know, AMR, antimicrobial resistance, big area. Right. So I've tried to pink areas. And I still have my footholds a little bit in the areas that I love, of course, which is in <laughs> cancer, rare diseases. So that's how I pick the areas. And mm-hmm. the portfolio obviously is extensive, um, but it's all synergistic because mm. I think that what I'm trying to do is take learnings from one area and share them across different areas. And to be honest, a lot of the themes are very consistent mm-hmm. about you know, the importance of how do you get access to capital? How do you build teams? How do you get access to talent? Frankly, human capital and financial capital, a cross-cutting theme. Mm. And the second cross-cutting theme now is how do you honor on a le- from a legal, regulatory, compliant, but also from an ethical and moral point of view, um, bring the digital, this whole digital world into mm-hmm. what we do. And that's a really interesting space moment. So that's, that's what I'm up to today. Wow, that's fantastic. (laughs) And, and, you know, and I, but I think the other important thing is how you have, you have the conviction to, to kind of the curiosity to remain relevant, right? And you're seeing the trends of the digital disruption. And it's like, you are anticipating what could be happening. And you're kind of on the forefront of it opposed to, and you're disrupting yourself before you get disrupted. So I think that's the other important lesson that I see and I hear what you're sharing is, you know, constantly staying on top of what's happening in the industry and how could it impact all of the different facets that you're working on, whether it's biomedical or therapeutical or, you know, whatever it is, 
how could that get disrupted? And like you're, and you were kind of, you're identifying the wave so you all can ride it opposed to getting crushed by it, right? So that's I think very that, good, that's phenomenal. That's <laughs> yeah, well, I would say that um, over the, my entire career, I've always been very inquisitive and I've always read way beyond my technical area of expertise. So uh, again, I, I, you know, I, when I, when I, coach or mentor um, women executives, I'm always encouraging them to say, you've got to be broad. You know, you have to be interested in geopolitics. Oh, goodness, we're seeing mm-hmm. that now, unfortunately. But, you know, you have to be interested in that. You have to be interested, you know, in, in all of the um, literature that's emerging on, you know, next generation and leadership and, and mm-hmm. all of that. That's a very intellectual exercise. You have to be interested in different sectors. You know, I, I chair, actually, I'm the chair, actually, of a... Um, something called the Conduit Connect. And the Conduit Connect is a, is a community in the UK, broadening, of um, social entrepreneurs that come from all different diverse parts of the world and sectors and society, actually. But what we share in common is that we want to uh, make a difference along the lines of the sustainable development goals. And we have different ways of thinking about how to do that. So I chair a platform which seeks out uh, social entrepreneurs that are working mm-hmm. in private enterprises that, that have impact, that, that, that are looking to have an impact mm-hmm. um, as it relates to SDG, and then connect and connecting those with um, investors who mm-hmm. are the so-called impact investors, but really, you know, um, long-term investors that want to really, again, make a difference as well. So that's a fantastic opportunity for me, hopefully, to have, uh, you know, to make a difference. But, oh, and I was going to say, that's way beyond healthcare. So the most popular mm-hmm. areas that we work in are really the novel models of education on a global basis and how that's being dislocated by innovation. And then, mm-hmm. of course, in the, in the ag um, clean energy um, space mm-hmm. um, area. I love that because, of course, I'm learning all, all lots of new, lots of new ideas uh, that come across our desk about um, recycling, reuse in many different sectors. Uh, I was looking at a company this week. I was um, engaging a company that's using AI uh, for mm-hmm. automotive vehicles to reduce um, energy consumption and increase efficiency at ports. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. random. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm working on clean air to reduce allergens and increase uh, the health and wellness of people in their offices on a global basis through genomic sequencing and mentoring a CEO on that. So what I'm trying to say is that always be inquisitive, read mm. broadly, so that you can bring those ideas and be innovative in your workplace and you know, ideas from come from all sorts of interesting, um, interesting areas of society, which is why also working in the nonprofit area for me has been very important mm. across my entire career. And I always encourage everybody to have an active nonprofit charitable portfolio because you learn a lot uh, when you work in, in that sector and that can be relevant and translated into the private sector. Mm. That's phenomenal. And I think what I gleaned from that is the power of curiosity and the cross-pollination of reading all of these different things and how sometimes, you know, you can connect the dots and integrate some things and be innovative in it. I think that's phenomenal. Um, it, it, this has been an amazing uh, conversation and it has me kind of like my, my gears kind of like going 
you know, like over overdrive. Um, but I want to, as we close, do my favorite part of just lightning mm-hmm. round because you do, uh, you do read so much and you have all these things. So I'm interested in, in um, you know, how you'll answer some of these questions. Um, so five quick questions, quick answers. But uh, what book has greatly influenced you? Um, well, I mentioned it earlier. Uh, it's called Drive. Um, mm. And I think it's a must read for everyone. But my other little book, and I know this is a lightning round, but I'm gonna, this is the one that really mm-hmm. I, I love and I go back to all the time. There's a book that was written. It was called Who Says Elephants Can't Dance? And it was by the guy mm. that built GE. And it's a little weekend read. And um, the, the, the basic tenet of that book was about focus, execution, and leadership. This was written a long time ago. Mm. And you read a lot of business books, but at the end of the day, there's a few business books that really sum it all up. And it's mm. and I, I often go back and read it. <laughs> so you can read it in about 10 hours. And it's uh-huh. very good to keep you focused mm-hmm. what's important uh, when you're a senior leader in an organization. That's fantastic. What is your favorite inspiring quote or saying? Uh, um, live the life you love and love the life you lead. I, I, you know, we haven't talked a lot about this importance of having um, a very rich, enjoyable, purposeful life outside of the workplace. People mm-hmm. used to ask me a lot about li- work-life balance. I said, there's no, it's not work-life balance. It's mm-hmm. about how you balance your lifestyle. And given where we are now with the raging epidemic of mental health issues on a global basis, mm-hmm. you know, so important to be able to look after yourself and define the life that you really want to lead and to enjoy it and love mm. it. So I think that uh, that's what I've always, well, I haven't always done that actually. I haven't been very disciplined about that, but I always try and say to the people that I work with that please define the life you want to lead and enjoy it along the way. Mm, that's so important. That's so important. Um, what is one word or moniker you would use to describe yourself? Um, <laughs> well, on a good day, I'd probably <laughs> say, <laughs> on a good day, well, I, I you know, uh, one word I, I hope would be gracious. Mm. gracious. Mm. I love that. Yeah. And, and I would agree. I totally would agree mm-hmm. in this short time that we spent with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, what is one thing, one change, either a habit, behavior, action, you, would, you implemented that made your life better? Oh, uh, definitely carving out um, about two hours every morning. Now, I have the luxury of doing this, let me mm-hmm. say, because I'm at a certain phase of my life um, to um, go to the gym. And mm. I'd always been, I always love exercise. But the point is that I go to the gym. I don't go to the gym purely to exercise. I go to place myself in a space that gives me peace. It gives me mm. the ability to think, reflect, um, to prepare myself um, for what's coming uh, during the day. And I don't always engage in weights and cardiovascular. I may go and just sit in the steam and sauna. But I go to a place mm. which for me is a place of mindfulness. And I... I didn't do that for many years and I started to put that in place a few years ago and it's really I have to tell you it's created so much more capacity in my brain and ability to you know to uh, to get stuff done so I I, and for for the listeners you know that's what helps me and I, I guess what I'm saying is find find what works for you 
and be very disciplined about that habit. Mm. Think time. It's so important and, and how it can really unlock your potential when you give yourself uh, the time, the white space to kind of think. And like you said, important to go to an environment that creates that, um, that space for you. That's phenomenal. Last question. <clears throat> if you're walking out onto a stage, what is the power song that would be playing in the background as you walked out onto, onto the stage? <laughs> um, oh my goodness, I love music. It's one of my secrets that I absolutely adore, <laughs> adore music. Um, well, I'm actually a Coldplay super fan. Mm, and, okay. Um, so I would say they have this song called Paradise. Um, uh, and I, and I, you know, what I'd say is that the song will be playing and the video will be playing because the video to Paradise is one of color, it's brightness and it's energy. Uh-huh. And, you know, and I, we, we never really, you know, obviously in life, one never really truly has to paradise. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I think, you know, you only have one chance at life. And yeah. so it's got, to, it's got to be fun. And, and I've always tried with all the teams and organizations that I've worked with to at least have fun and to feel that I was trying to go. I always hoped when I left an organization that I left it in a better place than when I started. <laughs> I would tell you, I, I'm sure I wasn't always successful, but that was what I was always trying to do. So I play Paradise a lot when I'm in the gym in my AirPods, okay. uh, when I want a bit of a, an uplift because it reminds me, it reminds me what I'm trying to achieve. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I love it. Well, Annalisa, thank you so much for your time and for uh, sharing your pearls of wisdom and for transferring all of the knowledge you did in this uh, podcast. We, I'm sure my, our listeners are going to love it. Um, and I'm sure they're going to want to probably reach out or follow you because you um, piqued a lot of curiosity in, in, in me and I'm sure lots of our listeners. So what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Oh, on LinkedIn. I'm a big, I have a huge network on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn uh, because it's this notion of connection and collaboration. And so uh-huh. please feel free to reach out um, and ask me to, to, to link up to you and then you'll become part of my community. And then if you want a specific one-on-one, then I, I'll get back to you and you can, you can connect. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for your time. And it was amazing. Thanks, Monica. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend about it and subscribe to get new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests. See you next episode.